Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's Jordan Feigenbaum from Barbell Medicine. I'm joined here with uh, Mr. Matt Reynolds. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the crowd here. Yeah, I'm Matt Reynolds from uh, Starting Strength Online Coaching and Barbell Logic Podcast. Starting Strength Coach, staff member, just like you. And uh, we're just hanging out here. We may or may not be eating a cheese plate and enjoying your whiskey selection. We have something we want to talk about. Yeah, let's. Uh, well, first, let's talk about the CrossFit Games, man. They finished up 12 hours ago. Yeah, CrossFit Games fresh on everyone's minds. Uh, Tia Claire Toomey taking the win uh, for the women's. Matt Frazier winning for the guys. No surprise there. Yeah, not real close on the guys' side. No, I think it was like 960 points for Frazier and then like 200 points to the next closest person. Uh, what? So do you? would you agree that Matt Frazier is unlikable? Yeah. He's, he's like a villain. Yeah, I, I love him. Because I think he's a likable villain, but I can see why the CrossFit community hates him. <laughs> so, like, so, Fra- well, so Froning before, and, and, you know, Ben Smith, super likable. Ultimate likable guys. Yeah, like, like all-American, whatever. And I'm not saying that Frazier's un-American. I'm just saying that I, you almost can't like Frazier. And, and I think he said something to the effect of, I hope the guys prepared this year so I don't, just don't win so easily. Yeah, it was so easy last year. I hope they prepared. And then he won just as easily this year. Maybe maybe, maybe even easier yeah. this year. Yeah, he crushed, yeah. crushed everyone. So yeah. hats off to him. That's super hard to repeat. Um, the women's class was, I thought, more interesting. You had more uh, uh, parity because people were close. You know, Tia Claire Toomey, Cara Webb, Cara Webb went rather, uh, both from Australia, went into that last event. Um, effectively, I think it was six points apart. Yep. And uh, Cara Webb actually ended up beating Tia Claire Toomey after a judging snafu by like, you know, 10 thousands of a second or ten yep. hundreds of a second ultimately it didn't matter you know although you could make the argument that uh carl webb got screwed by this the judge for the overhead squatting incident in the event before anyway super interesting tia clark to me i thought she deserved to win yeah, yeah she was she was solid throughout the entire games and you know it's kind of interesting to think about when the when the williams sisters came in in tennis tennis kind of did a flip-flop and female tennis became more popular than male tennis. Have you ever seen any other sport where the females are probably more popular than the males until we've had CrossFit the last several years? It feels like people are more interested in the females than the males. And maybe that's just because Frazier is just so much better than everybody else. Hmm. What What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I never thought about that. And then you start thinking about female sports in general. There really aren't a lot of options after college for females to actually go and actually 
succeed at a sport outside of CrossFit. There's tennis, there's golf, there's MMA, there, you know, a handful of other high level sports that if you're the top 1%, you can actually make a living. But CrossFit for females, I think they're actually selecting for a high, you know, athletic talent pool. And, uh, yeah, I, I know that I was certainly more interested in watching the females all weekend because sure. I kind of knew Frazier had this on lockdown. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think it, maybe if there was a bigger challenge on the men's side, that maybe uh, you would see more people interested in the men's. Uh, or maybe it's just the females uh, being savages and, 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 and being highly competitive. Yeah, and I, you know, I think they've got some likable personalities right now in the top five. The, the Sigmund's daughter is super likable. Catherine David's daughter, obviously, is the reigning champ. And, and so a lot of people follow her. She also has a likable personality. Of course, Annie makes the podium this year for what the what was it the fourth time she made the podium is yeah that right yeah she tied uh was it froning for most podiums yeah uh, yeah and it, it's actually really impressive that that annie's been here for so long yet also performing at such a high level yeah. i mean because you would expect that the performance level of the top tier competitors would actually increase over time as your size of the sport gets bigger so now you know 2008 let's say it's 50,000 people who are competing in crossfit worldwide and now it's, you know, 300,000 or, sure. or 500,000. And Annie's still in the top, you know, at the top. Wow. Yeah, but not only that, she comes back from kind of major injury a few years ago. Yep. And then still comes back to the top, which is even harder, right? So it's one of those things where Froning was at the top for five years. And you yep. go, well, that's just Froning, right? Frazier's probably about to go into one of those runs if he stays healthy, if he doesn't get injured. It looks like Frazier is, is poised for that sort of thing. But it's interesting to, to look at Annie to go, she is, she is at the top for three years straight, gets really injured, struggles for a couple of years, and now she's come back, and she's back at the top of the podium again. Yeah, it would be like if Kalipa was still in the games. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because she, she, she's an OG, he's an OG, but, you know, it's a different sport now, and she's adapted and, and still performed well. So so the question is, do you think uh, do you think Froning beats Frazier if he competed as an individual? Ooh, probably not. Yeah, I don't think so. And I, But I do think that if he decided to compete as an individual for one year, he would learn. He, there's something about me and maybe this is just the underdog mentality that he would learn what he needs to do to sure. figure out even though sports change that maybe he would be a viable competitor so I, I think an interesting thing maybe to transition to we want to talk about some nutrition here is you know let's let's, let's talk about what froning has done in the past versus maybe what brooke wells did this year right so you look at brooke wells and we're, we're in missouri right now brooke wells is a favorite of, of missouri boys we love brooke wells here and she strolled a little bit more this year now she had a good last couple of days and she Ended up climbing up about uh, 13 spots in the last couple of days. But uh, ultimately, it felt like the direction that Ben Bergeron took her was to attack her weaknesses while doing the best he could to maintain her strengths. Yeah. Whereas in the past, what we have seen her do and what we've seen other champions do, like, like Froning, is that he absolutely attacks his strength and he maintains his weakness and doesn't fall behind. So what do you think is the best direction to go? Yeah, so I, I do think that attacking weaknesses on some level is actually inappropriate management. It's one of those things that sounds good on paper, but then ultimately I find it has worked less than optimal in practice. And so whatever your strengths are that have gotten you to the point where you're even assessing, like thinking about this, uh, I feel like turning the strengths up to 11 um, are likely to get to get you further, and and I just think you know there's case after case after case of this, and in, and in relation to Brooke Wells, you know you think she she got 12th, I believe, in uh, 2015, 2016 she gets sixth, Six. yeah, right. and this year I believe she didn't finish 17th, 17th or, yeah, yeah, somewhere right in, in that region, and and I I think you know we're we're, we're judging this from a 
uh, interesting spot. We're context free. We don't know the ins and outs and we don't, you know, certainly don't know our training. We certainly don't know, you know, maybe this is just a reflection of the event selection. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so, cause, cause if the events were more in her wheelhouse, maybe she ends up winning it. I think the thing that surprised me the most is that she didn't finish the clean ladder. Yeah. Cause I would expect of her, you know, I've, she's cleaned 270. Sure. Before and I thought two thirty five for a double. Sure. At least she took eleventh on the max snatch. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then on top of that, you know, the endurance necessarily wasn't there. And and I think so. Eat to perform um, is another is a blog. They do some really terrible nutrition advice uh, out there. You know, the guy's actually full of it. He's the guy who says you can. He lost hundred pounds eating five thousand calories a day, which mm-hmm. is not only untrue, but uh, but does make for a very interesting sales sales pitch. Like, sure. oh, oh, I could I could do that. But, I want to do that. Sounds so, great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sign me up. You get two weeks free. You yeah, just give me your email address. Um, it, you know, so he basically made the argument that, you know, Brookwell's nutrition um, wasn't on point and somebody was mismanaging that going into the games. I find it hard to believe that Ben Bergeron would have let that slip past him. You know, yes, he wrote, wrote a book. I don't think that necessarily clouded his judgment. I, I, I get the impression he's a really sharp guy. And again, without context, I think I'd have a very hard time believing that he just didn't address that at all. That being said, she did come in significantly lighter this time. Um, we're literally judging a book by its cover right here. Sure. Like, we're, <laughs> you're lighter. You did worse. Uh, you know, I, I don't yeah, know. And, and you're lighter and, and you did one or two or three spots better on the endurance events. Yeah. And 10 spots worse on, on the, the strength, strength events. events. And right. so the events that she was winning where all the weights were, were, were heavily weighted. Yeah. 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 You know, so e- even if you traded, if, even if she went three spots down, she took first or second or third and now she's taken fifth or sixth or seventh. Yeah, it's a much worse And in endurance, she jumps up the same amount. Right, she's still losing points overall. Yeah, because it has the winner-take-all kind of point structure in that if you get, you know, top 10, your points gain is much, much larger. Right. Like moving up from fifth to first is a big difference compared to, like, you know, 30th to 25th. Which would make sense if that's the point structure that you would hammer on the things that you're great at. Yeah, play to your strengths. Absolutely, and then just hold on for dear life for the stuff that you struggle at. Yep. Yep, yep. So, so I don't know. You know, it, it's hard to say. And like I said, it, it'd be very difficult to suggest that Ben Bergeron like missed this stuff. And I don't think so. Uh, you know, one interesting thing is, all right, well, Feigenbaum, you're a doctor. You work with CrossFit athletes, and you know, you know, uh, what would what what would you have done? What would have been different? And I think it's very difficult to actually measure. You know, to have a battery of tests that is sensitive enough to predict somebody's performance in a competition situation. So this would be like, let's say I'm working with a competitive powerlifter, for instance, and I'm working with them on nutrition, and you know, I'm only monitoring their PR. Sure. Well, we know that a bunch of stuff goes into their PR, right? So sure. that may not be the best proxy for their performance level. Rather, their best performance level might be better measured by a single at an eight, you sure. know, and how that's trending and how they're able to recover from workout to workout. As measured by, you know, what is their variance and estimated one RM? Sure. For well, not, and not only that, with powerlifting, you know exactly what's coming up on the competition day. Yeah. Whereas you're trying to prepare people for the unknown. The unknown. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. The unknown, the unknowable. So in powerlifting, a sport where you actually know the the metrics, you could actually mo- monitor somebody single at eight and their estimated one RM, and reasonably have a good sense of how's recovery going. Sure. And then you can make a judgment call. Well, if their sleep hasn't changed, if there's environmental stress hasn't changed, if their personal life stress hasn't changed, then it's nutrition. And, right. you, and you would make subsequent adjustments appropriately. It's harder to do in CrossFit. It just is interesting. You know, the one good point that this article brought up for me to perform is that there's been a general trend for, to make women lose weight, particularly in the CrossFit uh, arena. And, and I do think that that pressure is true. Um, because there's because there's studies on 
on on height to weight ratios yeah, and how efficient and how efficient you are uh at, at energy so it's true it's uh so for instance if i added five pounds to you um for you to run at a particular speed for a certain distance and i added that weight at your ankles it would cost you 25 percent more energy to run the same speed the same pace sure if i added it at your waist it's four percent all right and so we know that if you lose some weight you're more efficient uh that being said it's interesting my research when i run the data for crossfit girls or the, or the women, sorry. Sorry, feminists. Sorry, I meant, I meant women. I meant women. Um, if When I run the data on that, it shows that the top 10 actually weighs more per inch of height than the bottom 10. Interesting. And the middle, tw- and the middle 20. So to me, you could make a f- couple arguments. You could say, well, that just means that you need to be stronger to be in the top 10. Sure. Which I think that would certainly play to both of our biases. I don't necessarily know if that's the case. Sure. Or just the stronger end up the top 10. Sure. Um, or that the taller athletes end up at the top 10, you know, on average, if you're 5'5", five, 5'7", five, five, you fall right within that range. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's interesting. But I think that, sm- you know, universally having the idea that smaller is more efficient is more better for cross performance is wrong. Yeah, if you think about the top 10 CrossFit girls, Briggs is really the women. one that's women, sorry, women, <laughs> empowered. Hashtag fierce. <laughs> hashtag women can be girls too. That's true. Girls can uh, be women. Right. So if you look at the top, if the top 10 women... Really, the one that sticks out to me as being the one that kind of sticks out as the sore thumb is Briggs. Right. right. Briggs is the one that's not that strong, that's unbelievably good at all the endurance events. Right. But most of the other ones are decent at the endurance events, pretty good at gymnastics, and really fucking strong. Yep. That's, yep. Which is interesting. Well, that's how Brooke Entz, I mean, made it, you know, and, and my advice to her always was get stronger, get stronger, get stronger, because yeah. that's what makes you the savage. Sure. You know, coming, coming in with better lungs is cool, but if that gets you one spot, it's not worth it giving up one spot of being stronger and contrary to popular belief you cannot have it all right there are no biological free lunches sure so gaining a bunch of endurance and unless you're untrained is not not is not going to allow you to gain a bunch of strength so sure so i think yeah if you're a crossfit girl uh, woman and you want to be at the top you need to be snatching 200 or more yeah. you need to be you know clean and jerking and that you know 250 260 sure. ra- sort of range strong 300 pound squat right mid 300s pull. There's also this piece of this. There is no such thing as mental toughness to get you a 200 pound snatch. Right, right, right. And when you, and when you go through this, like, especially the short burst, high glycolytic, lots of lactic acid sort of build up Fran type workouts. You say lactic acid? Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Don't so like, I'm sorry, but you know, so yeah, I'm sorry. So you're a doctor. God damn it. So, so hydrogen ion. Sure. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah, you can say that. All right. Cool. You can say lactate. Okay, lactate. All right. So uh, this this highly glycolytic. So there is a piece of this that for somebody like Brooke Ends, who is really super strong, mm-hmm. if she's mentally tough enough to get through that stuff, she's still going to struggle on the on the long endurance events. Yeah. But on the stuff that it's a it's a three minute, five minute, seven minute, nine minute sort of event. Yeah. The mental toughness can actually get her through. You can't be mentally tough enough to snatch 200 pounds unless nope. you can snatch 200 pounds. Right. You actually have to be strong enough. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, like the, the improvements on the long, like, again, improving from, you know, 30th to 28th or 27th or, or 20, you know, something like that is not enough point structure than going from, like, 10th to 6th. Correct. Just because, again, it's just when the money is. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, you sure, get paid. Sure. And you get paid, too. Sure. Uh, but the interesting thing this article brought up, and you can you might be able to comment on this. Was that there's the pressures really for loot being more lean or leaner and smaller comes from this, you know, you can get more sponsors and you look a certain way, sure. you get more money. You think that's true? Yeah, probably. But, but how much of it, I mean, again, we, we're almost, it's, it's uh, awkward to address in a, in a podcast, but like some of this has to do with just beauty, like face. Sure. Right. How good looking are they? Right. If it's yeah. a good looking girl, they're marketable. Woman. 
God damn it. Yeah, you can't. Sorry. Yeah. So if, right. if you're a good looking boy, I'll <laughs> right, say right. boy too. So yeah, it's, no, it's true. Well, that's the thing. That's the truth. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it, it's tough. I, I don't know. I, I feel a strange com- commenting on it because, you know, not being a woman, uh, certainly not being, you know, not necessarily understanding all those pressures. Uh, I'm unsure. But right. I do I do think that the pressure to become smaller at the expense of performance um, is probably not the right move from a coaching perspective. And I think the problem is, you know, even if, for instance, we were talking about Brooke Wells, even if her nutrition necessarily wasn't a factor in this year, and I, I think all of us here in Missouri hope that she performs uh, to her ca- uh, capabilities going forward, which I, I believe she will. She's strong. Sure. She's young. Yeah, you know, sure. It's going to be great. Um, IPF is calling your name, bro. Yeah, you're right. If you ever want to be a powerlifter, Olympic lifter, you can, you know, call us up. Yeah. Um, the thing is, you do need to have people tending to your nutrition who have credentials or at least some training in this sort of stuff. And the thing is, it's not just because you learn. So the biggest misconception is that going to a school, getting an academic degree or whatever, gives you all the tools that you need to do your job. That's not the case. Sure. It shows that you know how to think. Okay. So for instance, monitoring somebody's performance requires this thought experiment that you have to come up with organically and you don't get there unless you've like gone through a lot of training. Sure. Um, so I think that you cannot have just macro coaches doing this thing. I, you know what I'm saying? And, sure. and, and it, it's not difficult to give macros. Yeah. We were talking about this earlier. So how hard is it to understand macros? Not, nah. but look, it, it's 95% of macro coaches follow the exact same plan, right? So we're going to track your food for yeah. seven days. We're going to see what you eat. We're going to make minimum effective dose. We're going to start with the calories that you're eating now. And if your calories are not eat, that you're eating now isn't 4,000 calories or 800 calories, if it's somewhere in a, in a basic kind of normal realm, yeah. we're going to keep your calories roughly the same. We're going to repartition out your macros. Yeah. We're going to see what happens with your body composition for a couple weeks. Yeah. And then we're going to just make small tweaks, 100 calories a week right. in fatter carbs primarily, right? And not only that, like protein is relatively static, right? right? So your protein is kind of with, with, a, with an athlete, with a strength athlete, you're talking about somewhere in the ballpark of... 150 grams for a female, yeah. 250 grams for a male. You're never going to see a male with 300 grams of protein. Shit. I mean, really, really rare, right? Yeah. Uh, you're r- rarely going to see a female with 200 grams of protein. So protein stays relatively static. And then you just make tweaks based on you take body weight and waist measurements, or maybe for a female, you take bust, waist, hips, yeah. or whatever. And you make the, you make, if you look at compliance, if compliance is 90%, right. you make changes at 100 calories a week. To make sure that like performance continues to increase right. and we get the composition changes we want. Now, here's the problem. What happens when that doesn't work? Yeah. So not only when that doesn't work, and so now you're sussing out, like, is there a compliance issue, right? And then, you know, the one thing that has I, I, been impressed upon me is when I get people from other nutritional companies, you know, they always want to talk bad. Like, here's all the stuff that sucked about the last person. And little do you know the whole story. You know, everybody, every story's got two sides. And so the person who comes in and says, oh, I was with so-and-so, and they had me on 25 grams of fat a day, which, uh, by the way, is too feels low. Too, feels a little low. Yeah, but you don't know that that was one day a week or two days a week, and sure. it was like an experimental thing. Like, you don't know. So sure. so it's hard to you say, oh, well, this, this company only does that. Um, yeah, so the problem – yeah, I, I make this, this uh, metaphorical kind of uh, analogy that macro coaching is kind of like being an anesthesiologist, all right? So normally, 90-something percent of the time or whatever, it's fine, right? You turn some dials, patients out, getting surgery, things good, life's good. You're checking your stocks, your Facebook, tweeting, Instagram. During the surgery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's absolutely true, right? Until something goes wrong or you notice something that's 
you know, not what you were expecting. And then you require, better know what the hell you're doing. Exactly. You have to have all this previous training to know like, okay, here's what I need to check. Here's what I need to check. And so this could be like, oh, not getting your period. Oh, you're not losing weight. Even in the, even when you're in a caloric deficit, and I believe you're, your calorie, uh, your restriction, that you're being compliant, right. or, or or your recovery is suffering, or I'm I'm actually monitoring your training metrics, or here's the metrics I need to be looking at. So again, it's not a PR performance for a CrossFitter, for instance. Sure. It would be like, okay, here's your two, here's your two K row. So I know that on any given day, they should be able to do 500 meter intervals with one minute rest at their 2k row time on any right. day, no matter what the training stress is. Sure. That's easy, and if they fall off that, then I think. Is the we have tr- a problem. Yeah. We, or, like, for instance, I don't care what their 1RM back squat is, but what's their single at eight? Right. Because I know that on most days, they should be within a few percentage points of that. And so if I have all this, you know, uh, all these data points, they're trending down. And I wonder, is this a recovery thing? Right. But, but if I'm not monitoring that, if I haven't even thought about that, right, if I'm, only, if I'm thinking about PR performance, for instance, well, I'm wrong. Sure. And the reason why I'm wrong and I'm thinking about the wrong stuff is because I don't have this sort of over. Uh, increased training, you know, uh, sort of, sort of uh, history where I think I can, I can think about more complicated things. Sure. <laughs> like, well, so, what's, what's interesting is, is that, that, that at its basic level, at, at its least complicated side, it's still just stress recovery adaptation, right? Sure. That's, that's, that's all it is. The problem is, is that when we start to flesh out the stressors and the recovery pieces, uh-huh. that's when it starts to finger out and get really complicated, right? So f- for me, and I, I want to ask you, the first thing I look at is is that when performance suffers, mm-hmm. I look at recovery first and stress stress second. Sure. Do you do the same thing? So you look at stress. Is the recovery enough? Certainly for novices, yes. Okay. Uh, because it's it's just more it's it's simpler at that point. Right. So is there enough? So when we say recovery, the two the two primary the things we know are proven to cause recovery: sleep and food. Yep. Right. Sleep and food. Yep. So are the calories adequate? Is the sleep and is the rest enough? And yeah. we can look at both uh, short-term acute rest, so like rest between sets, rest between work, and yeah. versus how much rest they're getting, like long-term rest over the course of a week, over the course of an entire stress recovery adaptation sort of cycle overload event. Right. Um, how much sleep are they getting over a three-day, four-day, week, two-week sort of period? Right. If those two things are in place and they're correct, where do you go next? Yeah, so I, I usually still... I mean, now I'm looking uh, uh, a little bit more, a little bit more macro. So, um, I have they been losing weight? Because then it tells me no matter, even if their nutrition, I feel like is on point from that standpoint. If they've been losing a, a significant amount of weight regularly for a long time, then I would kind of expect some sort of re- re- compromised recovery. Sure. To the extent that it's you know impeding on their improvement. Sure. Is uh, individual specific. Uh, I look for recent stressors. So what's going on? Something at work, right? Home. What else is deal? Stress that the coach cannot control. Correct. Right? And, so, and the lifter may not be able to control either. No, but the one that the a lot of be aware of. Right. Exactly. Right. That doesn't get reported to us often. Yeah. Uh, and then I start looking for what I call zebras. So these are things that are you you do not uncommon, um, but then also. Uh, may cause issues so if the person oh yeah i actually was traveling i was at this weird gym and you know i use this weird bar and you know i don't know and you're like oh well why didn't you tell me that and you're sure. like <laughs> yeah you really or, you know, or even I, I felt like i slept okay but i was in a hotel and the bed was weird yeah and i just happened to wake up four in the morning i never wake up before in the morning and yeah exactly something was strange right yeah or i was in the, this board meeting all day and i felt like i ate you know so i didn't say there's anything wrong with my nutrition but this was this you know it's just different, right? Sure. And so 
if you have things that you would you could reasonably make the case for the person having a reduced performance level on that day or whenever you're sort of trying to realize their performance so on a novice progression, it's the training day, then you say, hey, I'll give you another shot at it. Yeah. Because you would expect that not to play out twice. Sure. Although, this an interesting aside, somebody misses a, a weight, what would you have them do in that session? So let's say they did a set of, their first set of five, they did five. Second set of five, they did five. Third set of five, they only did three. Would you have them go back and get that double at that weight, or they call it? I'd call it, and then make them repeat the weight two days later. Yeah, for if, a novice. For a novice. Is there any point where you would actually have them of drop course, the weight and get volume in? All the time. So yeah. like once they get into kind of what I would call late novice, early, early intermediate... Then I say, I want 15 reps. Yeah. So I don't, care, many, I don't care how many sets it takes to get there. 15 right. reps is what we have to get. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So you have a number lifted. Yeah. yeah. So that's, and that's the same thing. Usually when I'm coaching novices or people around that area, I'm like, hey, look, you're going to, sometime you're going to fail. And the worst thing you can do is only get one, one or two reps that day and go home. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Because you need volume. So if you need to take 10% off the bar, take 10% yeah, off the bar. Yeah. We do that all the time. Okay. But that doesn't happen to somebody in like early or mid no, novice no, no, no. phase. No. That doesn't happen until you're milking the end of novice phase or early intermediate sort of phase. Right. That's right. pretty rare. Now, I mean, occasionally somebody's saying, you'll, you'll have somebody where recovery is totally destroyed yep. right there. Like the day before, they had diarrhea all day. They couldn't eat yep. anything. They're dehydrated. They walk in. Everything's terrible. They have to know. Yeah. Right. You've got to be able to drop the weight a little bit and still get some work in. Right. Yeah. So that's actually another good point is that I would not expect. Uh, so people want to look to narrow. They want to narrow the focus narrowly too, too much. And they're like, well, today I ate great. It's like, yeah, well, what did you do the last three days? Sure. Um, or today, I, the last night I slept great. Like, yeah, well, what did you do the last three days? Yeah, great point. Yeah. Or like my stress today was good. Okay. Yeah. But you're going through a divorce and the last two weeks of your life has been a living hell. Sure. You know? So that's going to weigh on you. And this matters more and more as you become more advanced as well, right? So if we sure. look at if, if, if as a novice, the overload event, the stress, the entire stress recovery cycle is a 48-hour cycle, sure. then, then often it's probably really just it makes the most sense to look at recovery in a 48-hour cycle as well. Sure. But if, if we're looking at an, an intermediate or advanced athlete yep. where the stress event, the overload event, the thing that it takes, we have to accumulate yeah, fatigue over, over the course of one week, two weeks, four weeks, 12 yep. weeks. Then the recovery matters are the same period, time period, right? Yeah. So we have to start looking at like, well, hold on, your recovery has been terrible yeah. for the last three weeks. And just because your sleep was good the last two nights. Doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And, and actually, so the, you know what the scariest email to get is, and, and you'll know this when I say it, it's, hey, I've got a meet in three months or two months. Can you help me out? Sure. And you're like, uh, well, I think so. But at the same time, like, I'm really worried because I don't know how you respond to this stuff. Sure. I don't know what your recovery is sure. like. I don't know what you've been doing. You may have screwed yourself up and put yourself in a pit. Sure. So I actually had three athletes this year that I worked with who went to the games who I started working with like two months prior to the games. Yep. And they're like, should I gain weight or lose weight? Yeah, I'm you're, like, you're like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, I don't know. Uh, I have my suspicion is that this should happen, but I don't want to make any big changes because we don't have any an, enough data. Sure. You know, uh, so anyway, which brings us back to this Brooke Wells sort of situation. And I think Katrin looked, she looked a little more trim yeah, as sure. well. Agreed. Um, it would be difficult to suggest the coach who's doing the programming missed a bunch of signs. Sure. That being said, no, thinking about how long you'd have to look over time, it's possible, certainly. And I, I don't know if there are any easy answers to this. And I don't know if these things are nutritionally related. I also don't know that they're not nutritionally related. Right. I do think that Eat to Perform article was a little bit simplistic, but that doesn't surprise me considering the author. I will <laughs> take that hate, but, you sure. know, um, it's just, you know, for if we if we consider three three categories of athletes, we'll talk about our novice strength trainee. Your nutrition has to be on point. That is going to affect your recovery. We can look at that short term because your stress recovery adaptation cycles within 48 hours. So we have 
you know, that's easier to suss out for our intermediate and for intermediate advanced lifters. Your body weight in and of itself is going to play a major role in your actual performance. And we also know that if you're losing weight, your muscle cross-sectional area is not improving. And we know that that is a major component to your strength improvements. Sure. So we know that gains are compromised. Yeah, sure. For your yeah, and, and what's interesting is strength strength can even hold on for a little while while weight goes down. Yep. But we know as when weight goes down, hypertrophy isn't occurring. Exactly. Right. Yep. And and over the long term, eventually this will lead to strength loss. Right. Right. Like yeah. Al- almost inevitably. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're so untrained. But right. It, yeah. Right. For but for intermediate for intermediates, yeah, the, the, you've been yeah. trained. Yeah. And then there's the CrossFit or mixed modal endurance person, which is even harder to track and really suss out. But I do think that trying to broadly break these things down into categories like, oh, your recovery is compromised or, oh, your training has been compromised or, oh, you're just pure, only your performance was compromised. Breaking it down and say, I have a high suspicion that it's one of this, this category. And then you try to go from there. So, sure. so for instance, if the events were significantly different at the CrossFit Games, it may be entirely possible that Brooke Wells, Catcher Davis' daughter, would have done far better. Yep. Right. So the I guess one of the questions is: is it, is it possible that Ben Bergeron was basically gambling on? Yeah. So this is going to be a heavier sort of endurance sort of sort of week. Now, now it's interesting because Fraser still just killed everybody, right? right? So, so you, let's put him aside. Yeah. Right. But with the other ones, but it wasn't. Yeah. It was still quite a bit of strength in there. Yeah. Right? And the endurance ended up killing them. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I, I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I, and I think that what he's doing there obviously has shown efficacy over time. Um, it's just the, the events at, at some level play a huge swing and, and uh, who should win unless there's a clear head and shoulders per, a, a person that's better. And sure. I think that's Frazier. Sure. I think it's what you see. But you saw yeah. a shuffling of the deck behind him. Sure. Where did uh, uh, who's the Navy SEAL guy? Josh Bridges. Where yeah, did he way down? Right, and Fikowski moved up, and so I, I think Fikowski's got the best chance of giving Frazier a run for his money, but probably not for another year or two, unless the unless the events significantly change. Although you would right. say that Frazier at this year had was head and shoulders above everybody. I think that Frazier Frazier still came in top five, top seven on endurance events. Yeah, right. He comes in top five on strength events. And he comes in first on everything in between. Yeah. That's the that's the interesting thing about yeah. Frazier. Yeah. So whereas the women had more parity in that they were just closer, more evenly matched. Yeah. Um, so I think there is no person that's head and shoulders above, which means that the events do significantly alter the rundown. Sure. And you know, so then the ENTP in me wants to argue says, well, Catherine Davis' daughter won the last two years. You mean the events were similar for two years? And I think, I think actually yes, you can yeah. make you can make that argument. Yeah. Like similar sort of setup. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. This year was significantly different, uh, I thought. Yeah. I, I did hear that Madison was cool. Yeah, everybody everybody said Madison was really cool. Which makes sense because Midwest is the best. Well, and it's cheaper, and I'm sure it's a little easier to get around. They get around. ridiculous. And they the weather was nice. The city turned out for CrossFit. Yeah, it's cool. There was, like, everyone you know. They had CrossFit-specific menus. I'd, I'd love to know the story behind that. If somebody from Madison reached out to—, to surely that's what happened, right? Surely CrossFit didn't reach out to Madison— Surely somebody at Madison said, hey, you need to come look at what we have. I think we can put something on cool here for way cheaper. Lots of people. They can stay cheaper. We have all these hotels. We have all these Airbnbs. Yeah. I mean, I, I would assume. I'd, I'd be interested to know the story behind that. You know what I like about L.A.? Nothing. Nothing. I'm so glad. I like I like L.A. But you I, like L.A. to visit. Yeah, we never live there. Yeah, because that's I don't live crazy. in Missouri. But yeah. And then, you know, wait, you, wait, sit wait. On the, you sit on the 405 for three hours. And you're like, what the hell? How do people live it this way? 
Yep, every day. So, hey, real quick before we wrap this up, I want to talk about kind of specific nutrition stuff for for competitive athletes. Specifically. Right, so, intermediate competitive athletes. So, one of the things that we we have you you have I've heard you flesh out before is you're you're not a big guy about um this might not be entirely fair, but you're not a big guy about um, food quality when it comes to things like organic, GMO, nope. things like that, right? So, but there is a piece of this food quality when you start to look at uh, supplements and muscle protein synthesis response, leucine, things like that, that play a big role sure. in everybody's nutrition, but but probably uh, even far more important for these competitive athletes' nutrition. So why don't you talk about when you, when you say food quality and the importance of food quality, what specifically are you talking about? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. So GMO, I have no reservations about recommending any GMO food. And so genetically modified organisms, there's multiple different quali- uh, different things that fall under that umbrella term. So that includes uh, food genetic engineering, that includes hybridization, mutagenesis. So you can be an organic farmer and actually technically raise GMO crops. Yeah, because you don't have heirloom seeds yeah, for everything. Exactly. So you have G- yeah, right. Yeah. Sure. So people are like, wait, it's organic but GMO? And they get so confused. And I'm like, sure. yeah, everyone's confused about GMO. We've been doing GMO stuff forever. Forever. There is no such thing as corn that we eat today that isn't GMO. Oh, yeah, but corn is bad. <laughs> <laughs> right, corn on the cob is good. Yeah, corn on the cob is right. So it's that's probably. But we're one. not eating maize. Yeah. So right? I have. So, so I have. I have no qualms against any GMO anything. Okay. Right. And there's been no legitimately no evidence that shows that it has any de- uh, decrease in health or performance or anything like that. So so for that to be somebody's like litmus test for like food quality, that just shows you they don't know what they're talking about. Sure. Um, as far as food quality, uh, you know, when it comes to organic or inorganic, I think that the only there's only twelve foods that I can make a case that are better organic. And they're called the Dirty Dozen. Right. So you just Google Dirty Dozen Foods, organic foods. Those are the only ones that actually buy They're the ones that take on lots of pesticides. Correct. Right. And we know that the pesticides themselves have mutagenic effects in humans, although the case reports of the actual issues in humans from eating food that have those pesticides are, are you know, almost non-existent. Sure. But anyway, the Dirty Dozen, if you want to buy organic stuff, that's what I would buy organic. Sure. And then I've heard you talk about single ingredient foods. Yes. Which is more about tracking than anything else, right? Yeah, tracking and compliance. So right. if I get somebody to switch over to single ingredient foods, I know that they're not eating a lot of highly palatable uh, foods that they're going to overeat. Sure. So that's the big thing behind there. I think if I had to give one recommendation um, for food quality, it would be that each meal that you consume has to have a very high quality protein source. Sure. So high quality protein re- requires it be an animal source of protein. Yep. So it has to have a good amount of leucine in it. Leucine is a branched-chain amino acid that's most closely associated with muscle protein synthesis. And what I mean by that is in the absence of leucine in the meal, muscle protein synthesis is unlikely to occur. So for instance, the... So when Wonder Bread says, hey, we've got four grams of protein in a piece of Wonder Bread, there's zero leucine. There's no muscle protein synthesis that occurs because of the... Yeah. In addition to that, the protein source is from wheat... Right. which has a low bioavailability, sure. low protein digested corrected amino acid score, right. which basically is a fancy way of saying that, yeah, we don't give a shit what the protein number is. It's just not very helpful. Sure. Um, so it would be an animal-derived source, okay? It would have a high amount of leucine, and uh, ideally you would take in about 20 to uh, 30 grams of that protein source, so you get about 3 grams of leucine in that serving. And 3 grams of leucine is enough per meal to generate a muscle protein synthesis response for virtually all populations. So that's your young person who actually requires less protein to generate a muscle protein synthesis response than an older person 
So it's interesting if I ask most people, hey, who needs more protein? Sure. The 16-year-old go hard at the gym. That's what the, they say. Or the 60-year-old. Right. He's going to the, the gym. The 60-year-old female vegan is the one that needs it worse than anybody. Correct. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, you know, she'd be ill-served by taking a beef protein isolate or a rice protein or pea protein isolate. You would want a whey protein. Whey is the king if you're going to take a protein supplement. Sure. And, uh, and for people that don't know, most surely most people that listen to this. Whey is just made from milk. Correct. Right? We talk about this all the time. When we were a little kid, we learned Little Miss Buffett. Yeah. Sat on our tub it, eating her curds, curds and whey, right? Whey. And so you've got this, like, yeah. cur- curds or the casein. Yeah. Right? And whey is kind of the liquid portion of the protein. They dehydrate that off, and it leaves a powder, and it's whey protein. Yeah. There's some more processing that goes on. No, no, no. That's the same. That's all it is. It's Come all on. it is. Yeah. Let's just make it simple yeah, that's for fine. the listeners. That's essentially it. Sure. Right? So, so the supernatant, the liquid portion of that formula, yes, is part casein uh, and part uh, whey, uh, and then basically filter out the casein. And whey protein isolate is the single uh, best source for leucine besides just pure leucine. Sure. Um, and the the reason why whey would be better than just taking pure leucine is because you also get the other essential amino, essential amino acids. So the point of taking a protein supplement is to get all of that protein in a single serving. If you are taking a whey sup or a protein supplement that doesn't have a lot of leucine and doesn't have the essential amino acids, right? You're wasting your time, right? Your calories and your money. Yeah, it's kind of an all or nothing. It's like turning a light switch on, correct? Right. So for people who are, if they if they are taking a suboptimal protein. And they look, they look at their protein. Matt's just trying to get me to not name names. No, don't name names. It's fine. And then I look at it and I say, well, it's got 20 grams of protein in this, but it only has uh, 0.5 milligrams of leucine. Right. You should throw it away. They should throw it away. Yeah. Or at worst, if you're a cheap bastard, you should put, you should put BCAAs into it. Yeah. You could add pure leucine to it, but, but just if you had like five, you know, 50 milligrams of leucine uh, in a serving that you would need to take you know, uh, t- 10, the whole, the whole bottle, the whole bottle. Yeah. You're basically. trying to get up to three grams, 3000 milligrams. It, right. So the companies that do that, you just wonder like, why? You're right. You didn't, you, you spend, are they crooks or do they not know? Right. But if you spend six figures on a marketing budget, right. And you, you should know, and you couldn't pay a thousand dollars to the research scientist who's trying to put him, put himself through grad school. Sure. Then you're a crook. Sure. Yeah. So you so you're looking for that. You're looking. You're looking yeah. So you're looking for the leucine. Yeah. And and it's often at a uh, what like a, a three to one to one ratio leucine to isoleucine to isovaline. Usually in that two, ballpark, two to one to one. Two to one to one. Yeah. And the idea is for to actually metabolize the leucine, you do require some isoleucine and valine to which are the other branch chain amino acids. Correct. Yeah. And so if you run out of those, effectively, you can stop the reaction from occurring. And at that time, muscle protein synthesis will stop. Okay, so it sounds really complicated. Yeah. But the reality is, if you have a solid whey protein isolate yep. that has three grams of leucine in it, yep. you're good. Yep. It's yep. that simple. Yeah. So you could do a whey protein concentrate as well. Some people have some GI yeah. upset when they take that. Yeah. So what I recommend yes. people doing. I.e. protein farts. Yeah. I.e. protein farts or bubbly guts. Yeah. Um, so what you can do is you can buy one a one pound protein, uh, so just buy one pound of protein and try it. Yeah. Before you buy the fifty gallon, the sure. fifty pound the bag thing. Sure. Yeah. You don't need fifty pounds. What do you think about hydrosolate? Yeah. I I I don't see any reason to pay more for protein. Okay. It's 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 a solid protein. Correct. It's just going to be more expensive than isolate. Yeah. That and you start looking at especially different companies. You start looking at the leucine content. 
So that's the thing. It's so sometimes like, the leucine content goes down with the hydrosylate. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, sometimes in any protein supplement, you just look at the leucine thing. Hydrosylate is often explained to the layperson. I would consider myself a layperson. It's almost like a synthetically pre-digested. It's very, very fast in uptake. Would that, would that, is that a simplified way of saying it? Yeah, but it, but it wouldn't change. So, but here's the thing. Whey protein, for instance. It's fast anyway. It's 20 minutes until, yeah, right. until your blood levels of amino acids go up high. Right. So you're, is 10 minutes better? No. Probably not. I don't think so. And sure. I think at that point, so the rate limiting step for getting amino acids into the bloodstream, or if you're like post-workout, getting carbohydrates into your bloodstream to get them into your muscles is how fast your stomach empties anyway. Right. So at that point, when you're talking about 20 minutes or less, you're really talking about, well, what else are you eating with a meal? Right. So if you had a whey protein shake with peanut butter. Right. With some fat to slow it down. It's going to slow it down. Yeah, sure. So then the 20 minutes now has become 40 minutes. Sure. And so does hydrosylate matter in that? Well, no, you had peanut butter. Yeah, right. It's going to slow the hydrosylate. Yeah. Oh, no, I had it. Well, I had it with some fruit that had this bunch of fiber in it. Well, fiber is going to slow it down too. Sure. So at, at that point, I think I don't think there's any reason to buy a different protein besides a whey protein unless for whatever you have a milk protein allergy sure. and you still require a protein supplement. But there's not – whey protein itself does, has, has – uh, very little of the of, lactose. Yeah, lactose in it in yeah. the first place, right? Yeah. So yeah, I would expect people with a lactose allergy to be able to tolerate whey yeah, okay. just fine. But yeah. if you have a milk protein allergy, then you are actually allergic to one of the proteins in milk. Okay, interesting. Not one of the carbohydrates. Okay, got it. Yeah, and so then you can't do it. Okay, and and I've heard you say a lot of times too, where where if you're eating a a healthy dose of protein, if you're eating thirty grams, forty grams, fifty grams of protein five times a day, six times a day, say every three hours, mm-hmm. then it also that like special gains window of 15 minutes post-workout, doesn't exist. it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Because you're, you're always, you're basically always giving your body a, enough of a bolus to, to create a muscle protein synthesis with the three grams of leucine and the, and the additional protein that's, that's needed Correct. every three hours anyway. So yeah. if you, if you eat food, and an hour after you eat that food, you train and you train for an hour, an hour and a half. And you don't eat for another 30 minutes or an hour because that's just the natural. There's totally fine. There's no gains or loss. Correct. Exactly. Okay. So your muscle protein synthesis rates are elevated for about 48 hours for a novice intermediate. As you get more advanced, that, that window cuts down. But we're still talking about like 24 hours, 36 sure. hours. So where did the 15 minute window theory come so from? So it is true that within the first hour of post training, that protein uptake and carbohydrate uptake specifically is at a higher rate. Uh, but that rate is not significantly different enough. Uh, and this is at the level of the skeletal muscle. That's not, that rate is not significantly different enough to cause an outcome difference. And what I mean by outcome difference is more lean body mass, less body fat. Yeah. Or improve recovery as gauged by objective performance on serial strength tests, which yeah. means that, oh, the next day you were able to bench again. Right. It just means that it was a little faster. We had a radio labeled... Thing that we watched go through the gut and may up and it went up a little faster, but it doesn't matter. Right. So the only time it may matter, that's the speed thing, is if you're competing multiple times per day, i.e. Sure. you're a CrossFit athlete. Sure. And in which case things get a little the more the nutrient common. timing becomes far more important. Correct. But for your average person who trains once a day, three times a week, right. it does not matter. Sure. Do, I repeat, does not matter. And any sort of uh stressful situation that you incur to get that meal in at a specific time. The stress is worse than delaying the meal. Right. Makes yeah. sense. So are there any really good whey protein supplements out there that you would? <laughs> <I fit. laughs> like, yeah, I guess I should have said the disclaimer. Um, you know, I did just come out with a whey protein, Gains RX, whey protein isolate. It's a non. Is it Gains with how many Zs? Three Zs. Three. Lowercase, uppercase, lowercase? Yeah, you know me. Okay. Yeah, I'm, o- I'm an OG. 
So elemental whey protein isolate is what we used. And what I mean by that, is there's about 10 manufacturers of whey protein isolate in the, in the world. Um, and elemental whey protein isolate, when you get 20 grams of protein per serving, has about 2.2 grams of leucine. We bumped it up to three. Okay. And uh, and just and the valine you added raw leucine directly correct. to the whey protein correct. to get it up to the point and that the, you need it. And the valine and the isoleucine are also low, like one gram and 0.8 grams. We've okay. got those both up to one point five to get okay. that two, so to, so one two to, one. to one to one. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So six grams of BCAAs per serving. We're the highest in the industry. We have only four ingredients. It's whey protein isolate. We've got cocoa. We've got natural flavors and stevia. Right. And stevia. I call it stevia. Stevia yeah. is the wrong way to say. It. Yeah, I'm just messing that up. Um, in any event, it, it tastes, uh, most people are familiar with Optimum Nutrition. Yeah. It tastes like that. It's super clean. Right. It's got uh, the BCAs you want. So, yeah. Look. Have you mixed it with both water and milk? I have. And thoughts? So, thoughts on, thoughts on, <laughs> if you mix it with milk, it's thicker. And probably delicious. Well, yeah, but it's thicker. Is it okay with water? Yes, it is. The thing is this. So, I see no reason for anyone to take two scoops. Okay. Because you have three grams of leucine right there. So, so why would you take So a single protein? scoop provides how many protein, how much protein total? 25, 24, 20, 20, 20. Right. Plus, but what three, three grams, grams of leucine in a single scoop. Yeah. Which is high. Yeah, sure. Again, we beat everybody on that. Right. So, which means I can take one scoop of, of your gains weight and yeah. one scoop of my muscle milk to make yeah, it extra right, delicious. Right, 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 right. And then I get all this protein and I still get my leucine. Yeah. So any other additional protein that you would take in from the meal, either from carbohydrates as trace proteins, or if you had any fat as trace proteins, um, would be fine, but you don't need to have any more whole animal source protein. Sure. Makes sense. You don't need to, you can, but you don't need to. Sure. So the idea is you would do, if you're going to do one shake a day, it'd be one scoop and it'll last you a month. Right. That's the ideal. But right now, if you take the people are going to, here's what people are going to say. Well, I can go to Costco and I can go get five pounds of whey protein for sure. $26. Why the hell I buy your proteins more money than that? Right. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. Well, yeah, I practiced. Um, for, for Boot Hill of Missouri. Not, yeah, no, not, not here. Not here. Not here. Uh, well, the thing is, you'd have to take, you do have, require the two scoops per serving of that inferior whey protein to get the leucine. Correct. Normally. Because not only did they take leucine out of the thing, because leucine's expensive, right? Right. But they got a bunch of binders and fillers and stuff sure. in there too, which is all all of that and glutamine and creatine and whatever, which is also is just raising the protein count but diluting out your leucine. Right. So we didn't add any of that stuff in there. Right. Um, so yeah, anyway, plus you have plus you have Gains RX, which has the creatine, the beta alanine, and and the uh, what else in there? BCAAs, right? The BCAAs, yeah, HMB, citrulline malate. Yeah. It's got a little sodium, which people are you know really sleeping on people are like i don't eat any salt i'm no, like sodium's delicious it's yeah. amazing not only is it delicious it's but anabolic it, it, it's actually true so for instance a hydrated muscle cell is an anabolic muscle cell sure. and a dehydrated muscle cell will not grow sure and you require salt for that sure and in fact there's evidence suggesting that if you train for over 60 minutes and you are perspiring um that you will be hyponatremic asymptomatic but hyponatremic which just means low salt and so the worst thing you could do at that point is Drink a bunch of water with no salt. Correct. Yeah. And the second worst thing to do would be drink Gatorade because the amount of the salt content in the is, fluid is low and is, the sugar is high. Correct. Yeah. It's so the salt content is so low that you're just diluting out your stuff even further. Yeah. So you actually need more salt. So the current ACSM, the American College of Sports Medicine recommendation is to do 500 milligrams of sodium pre and post workout, which is about 1.4 grams of salt. Yeah. Of salt, which sure. is not just, and that's not sea salt because sea salt is about 10% sodium, which is junk. You don't want that. You'd want regular kosher sodium. But anyway, yeah, so we put sodium in Gains RX too. 
yeah, for that. Cool. So people were like, why is it not so sweet? Like, we don't have any artificial, you know, we don't have the Ooh, I think it's great. I don't yeah. think it's... Have you mixed it with any alcoholic beverages? I haven't. Have you done that? Yeah. Is it good? Like, just vodka or something? I mean, it's not Gen. good. Like, you're not like, hey, right. try but my I mean, You hear people do this with these other yeah. sort of energy, crossfit energy drinks, which yeah, try my remain nameless. Right. <laughs> <laughs> try my Gaines cocktail. Like, I've never done that, but right. I think I should. I could. So, all right. So, that's the next step. We'll work on some stuff. We'll work on some stuff. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. I don't know, actually, if this will end up on both of our podcasts, sure. but this is Matt Reynolds. He's a great guy. He runs Starting Strength Online Coaching. I'm Jordan Feigenbaum. I uh, run Barbell Medicine, and we just uh, we just dropped some knowledge. So thanks for joining us. You can check Matt. Hey, where can they find you? At? I'm at Reynolds Strong. Everything on all social media, easy to find. Starting Strength Online Coaching, you can find us. Google easy to find. And your podcast is called? Barbell Logic. Barbell Logic r- launches every Tuesday morning. So every Tuesday morning, he's got something new for your brain hole. Uh, we do things a little less uh, less timely around here at Barbell Medicine. We just cite that we're busy, but maybe we should step our game up. But uh, anyway, you can find me at Jordan underscore Barbell Medicine or Austin Baraki at, dot, at, at a.z.b. That's the worst screen we name. we got to get him to change it. Yeah. Yeah. To like austin's eyes or like yeah something like dr bukaki jesus that'd be better (laughs) that'd be better all right we'll catch you guys next time thanks see you say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill